Well, how we doing, Go Church? We good? We good. You got a little more energy than the, the earlier gathering, but I want you to give it one more time. How we doing, Go Church? We good? There we go. There we go. Hey, my name is Jeremy Isaacs, and I am the pastor of Generations Church. Hopefully, I've had a chance to meet you. We consider this place family and kind of a second home. We love you so much. We love your pastors. Uh, pastor JC and Kimberly are near and dear to our heart. We love them so much. And uh, I, I just want to say that they love you. I'll tell you what they say about you behind your back, all right? They love you. They pray for you. They're excited about what God's doing in you and through you. And they're just excited about what God's doing in Go Church in this season. And uh, not just here in South Metro Atlanta, but our friends on the west side, welcome to you. And those in the Montgomery County campus up in Maryland, those watching online, welcome to all of you. But man, I'm just, I'm so thankful to get to be here uh, in person and just to experience it together with you. And I'm thankful to have my wife, Corey, with me today. And two of our four kids, we have Tucker and Kinley, who two, our two youngest of our four, uh, our oldest two are back home at Generations Church serving there today, but uh, I'm thankful that they're here with me and just thankful for, uh, again, what God's doing here. It we, hasn't been all that long that we were here. How many of you were a part of the His and Hers Marriage Conference? That would have been a good spot to woohoo, but that's all right. Uh, you were here. It was a great weekend and so thankful for what God did that weekend. But one of the things that took place on that weekend is that Corey and I released our new book called Your Marriage Matters, What God Can Do Through Your I Do. And uh, some, you were some of the first ones to get that in your hands. But if you weren't at the conference uh, or maybe you were here and now you want to pick up a copy for some friends, we've got a limited number of quantity here at South Metro Atlanta in the lobby today after church. If you're at the Westside campus or you're at the Montgomery County campus, you can purchase it online on Amazon. Uh, but we, it makes a great gift. Uh, it's pre-Black Friday, so we'd love for you to put that in your hands. And I say all the time we're talking about selling our books, it goes to help uh, starving children, uh, our four. So you can just, uh, if you'll buy that, yeah, it always gets a laugh. I don't know. I mean, it's just the truth, but uh, the kids are expensive. And No, I'm just kidding. But we'd love for you to go by the table and pick that up or to go on Amazon and pick up a copy of the book. Uh, but I'm just thankful for today and for the last couple of weeks uh, what God's been doing here during at the movie series. And then last week with Pastor JC to kick off the legacy series. If you were here, you know there was a lot of good stuff happening last week. Uh, the power went out and came back on and went out and came back on. But how many of you know we don't need the power to experience the power of God? And what a great testimony of what God did last week. And I'm thankful for that. I want to continue in this series on legacy today. And to do so, I was kind of looking up the definition of legacy this thought about what legacy means and how it could be defined. And I found this definition. It's a gift by will, especially of money or other personal property. A second definition could be something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor. And so when I was thinking about that definition, obviously, a lot of times, it, it sounds like something that you give in a will towards those that are coming after your children and your children should you kind of leave something to them in your will but, but it's not just about money necessarily, though that is a part of what we're describing here. I want to really kind of focus in on that second definition, that second portion of what we were talking about, where it said something transmitted by or received from predecessors. You know, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So again, you might think inheritance, you might start to think about what is being left to you or what you are leaving to your children 
in your will. But, but that word inheritance there, if you really look at it, you kind of go back to the original language, that, that word is used about 60 times in the Old Testament. And almost all of those times, or, or an overwhelming majority of those times, when that same word is used, it's used in the story of the children of Israel. Now, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, after you get kind of through the creation story and you come through Noah and the ark and the flood, you come out of that story and you enter into a story with kind of Father Abraham and the promise of God through Father Abraham to his children and his children's children and the descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. And so you begin to see this narrative play out. There's a promise by God to Abraham that he is going to inherit a land. He's going to become a people and they will have a place. That's the promise. And that place is the land of Canaan. It's the land where, you know, milk and, and honey flow. And so you start to see that play out. And, and ultimately what happens in this narrative is it takes over 400 years. You see the story of Joseph in the, the latter portion of the book of Genesis. Joseph goes to Egypt and then he brings his family to Egypt. And a Pharaoh rises up that doesn't know really Joseph or the God of Joseph. And so he takes all this expanding family and he begins to put them into captivity and now they are in captivity. And then God uses Moses supernaturally to set his people free from Egypt. And they begin this journey toward the promised land. They get out into the wilderness. And it's 430 years from the promise to Abraham until God's people come out of captivity in Egypt. Now that journey across the wilderness should have only taken a few days. But it ends up taking them 40 years because it, it only took a few days to get them out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them, right? It, it took them kind of learning to trust God and not trust these ones that had provided to them everything that they had in their hands over these last few generations of people. And so they go out into the wilderness and through disobedience and a lack of trust in God and trying to really understand who God was forming them to be. They spent 40 years wandering around and ultimately a generation of people missed out on the promises of God because of that disobedience. And so the next generation follows Joshua into the promised land. And God along this journey gives them some law. He gives them some understanding about how they should live and the things that they should do, some guiding principles about the things that they should do as they walk into the promises of God. They're going to live among pagan people. They're going to live in cultures that are so diametrically opposed to who God is and who Jehovah God would, would ask them to be that they should live according to these commandments, these laws, so that the other people around them would see that there's something different about them. And I think that's true even in today's culture. Maybe you look at the Ten Commandments or the law in the Old Testament, you see it's antiquated, and you say, well, there's no way we should follow those things in a modern culture. But I think God is still asking his people to live in such a way that we are set apart, that we are different from those around us, and that the people on your job should look at you and go, hey, there's something different that's guiding your life, something different that's, that, that you are following that's different than what I'm doing. And they see a difference in you because you're allowing these commands of God and these laws of God. God and these instructions from God to guide you. I think ultimately we're still being asked by God to do those things because the story of the children of Israel is really a family story. I don't know what you think about when you think about family or your family, but when I think about family today, I want all of us to try to envision kind of two or three generations up and two or three generations down from us on the family tree. So kind of think of yourself in the middle, and I want you to just to draw a circle around you, kind of encapsulating about 150 years. You go, well, I don't, 
I don't really know who those people are. I mean, I didn't do the family tree project in the fourth grade, right? I don't really know who my grandparents' grandparents were, perhaps. And, and for sure, I don't know who my children's children or my children's children's children are going to be. But I think for all of us, if we could try to take this mindset and say, for our time together today, we're going to look at family as aunts and uncles and grandparents and great-grandparents. But we're also going to look down the family tree towards those that are coming after us and we recognize that family is this vital part of all of our stories, no matter what that family narrative looks like for you. Because in so many large and for sure in many small ways, the blessings and sins of your family, going back two or three generations, they have a lasting impact on who you are and ultimately who you're handing your story off to in the future. A part of that narrative of the Old Testament, and I talked about it just a moment ago, is where God gives to his children the Ten Commandments. There's actually two places that he gives them these Ten Commandments to guide them. And even if you don't know, you know, all the Ten Commandments, you can't recite them, even if you're not a faith person, Bible person, I'm sure that you've probably heard about this idea that there were these Ten Commandments given to God's people, and how are we to respond to those? And so in Exodus chapter 20... Beginning in verse 5, I want to I read a portion of one of those kind of the, the, the place that God gives the Ten Commandments to his people. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. It says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, at first glance, perhaps this seems pretty harsh. The idea of punishing future generations for the sins of their ancestors, that doesn't really seem fair. But I referenced just a minute ago that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. How many of you knew that, right? You knew that. The Bible's not written in English. And so when you go back to the original language here, kind of this, this idea of, of Hebrew, there's a different word there for punishment. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but as I look to resources that help me to understand these things, that word for punishment actually could be defined as consequences being revealed or consequences being made fully known, consequences that repeat. And so what you begin to see as you look at it through that lens is that what we can read in God's discussion with Moses here in Exodus chapter 20 is something completely different than how you and I might understand punishment, how like we would punish our kids or we get punishment or reprimanded on our job for something that we did wrong. This conversation between God and Moses is not necessarily about punishment, but about the consequences of decisions that we're making being spelled out more and more in the generations to come. And so if you look at it in that context and through that lens, think about your own experiences and those of the tragic stories that you've heard related to alcohol, adultery, divorce, addictive behavior, sibling rivalry, sexual abuse, conflict, crime, and more. You notice that many of these behaviors are patterns that can be seen repeated over multiple generations of a family. But the opposite is also true, that blessings can be passed on. The steadfast love of God, even to a thousand generations for those who keep his commands. And so we look to this story and we try to understand what is it that is being passed on? Is it the iniquity to the third and fourth generation, the consequences being repeated, the consequences being revealed, or is it that steadfast love, the blessings of God being poured out upon thousands of generations of our family story, perhaps? And so here, here's not the question. This is not the question that we're asking. We're not asking the question, am I leaving a legacy? 
Because you and I are all leaving a legacy. Every single one of us, whether you're intentionally doing so or not, all of us are leaving some legacy for those who come after us. The question is actually, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? What kind of legacy am I going to leave for those who come after me if I recognize that the decisions that I make today, the things that I'm doing today, they are going to have repercussions. The consequences of those decisions today are actually going to impact those who are coming after me down this family tree. And so if we would all kind of wrap our minds around that, then we come to this understanding. If I want to leave a legacy, then I have to recognize that I've got to live a legacy. If I want to leave a legacy, I've got to live a legacy. I have to live now in such a way that I would leave those things for my children and my children's children, those who are impacted by the influence of my life. So here's some really specific ways that that could play itself out. If you want to leave a legacy of learning, you need to be a lifelong learner. If you want to leave a legacy of faith, you need to live a life of faith. If you want to leave a legacy of prayer, you need to have a life of prayer. If you want to leave a legacy of marital faithfulness, you have to live faithfully in your marriage. If you want to leave a legacy of godliness, you need to live a godly life. I think you could wrap all of it up in this way. You have to live today like tomorrow matters. You got to live today as if tomorrow matters. If you don't, then you live today as if today is all that matters. And you make short-term decisions based on short-term gratification and the thing that feels right in the moment. But if you zoom out a little bit and recognize that the decisions of today impact the tomorrows of my life and the lives of those to come, then we make different decisions sometimes. We make decisions that we recognize have lasting impact. So let's assume, and I, I can't assume based on how you're responding right now. I'm preaching better than you're giving back. But I'm telling you, if we would all agree to this, it would probably impact the way that we live. So let's just assume, let's assume today that we all agree that we're all going to leave a legacy. And to do so, we have to live a legacy. Then here are some questions. How do we leave that kind of legacy? The legacy that matters. How do we do that? We don't have to look very far from the story that we're already in. I told you earlier that this story of the family narrative here, this children of Israel, Hebrew people story, really begins in this form through the covenant relationship that God establishes with Abraham. You can look there in Genesis chapter 12 and 13, and again where he recommits this covenant in Genesis 15, and you see it begin to play out. And so if you think about that story, you begin to read it for yourself. I want to go to the cliff notes. How many of you in school, you read the cliff notes before you took the test, right? Some of you are like, what is that? I wish I'd have known. I'd have done way better in school. Like, we're just going to summarize the story today. We don't have time to unpack all of it. But if we were going to summarize the story of Abraham, you could go to Hebrews chapter 11. I invite you to go there. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the hall of faith. It's the collection of stories of great men and women of God who were not perfect, but in pursuit of the things of God, they trusted God for incredible things, and by faith, God used them to do incredible things. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Skip to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. If we're going to leave a legacy by living a legacy, I think there's three lessons we can learn from the story of Abraham that's collected here in Hebrews chapter 11. The first was found in verse 8. Let's read that together one more time. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to obey and go. You have to obey and go. When called to go, he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, this is different than starting out on a journey where you know you're headed and getting lost. That's different. I love to use the GPS kind of maps apps on my phone. I use a lot of different ones from time to time, and I love to use them. I will plug in an address that I already know how to get there just because you don't know what you're going to encounter. You don't know where there's construction. You don't know where the police may be set up, and your friends and neighbors are going to tell you they're right around the corner. You don't know. So I use those apps to try to drive better, right? And I trust them until I don't. I'm sure I'm the only one. But I will plug an address in, and it will say, you know, in one mile, turn right. I'll be like, turn right? No, 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 you're supposed to go straight. If you turn right, that's the long way. I'm going to go straight because this is straight. And my wife's like, why do you even put it in if you're not going to listen to it? I'm like, I know the way. We're not, turn right, that don't even make sense. I'm going to go straight. And then you go over the hill, and you, there's some traffic there you didn't know about. And now you've got to apologize to Siri and to her. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm like, I don't, I didn't know, right? She was like, why do, why do you plug it in if you're not going to listen? And so this is different than getting lost. Th th this is different than having directions but not trusting the direction. This is different. Abraham said, I will go, and he didn't know where he was going. God said, hey, I want you to move. And Abraham's like, okay, I'm in. Let's go. Where are we going? God says, I'm going to tell you when we get there. He's like, okay, well, I'm, me and you are good. But I've got to go tell Sarah that we're packing up to move. Can you give me any more clarity about where we're headed? Does she need to pack warm clothes or like anything? God's like, no, 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 I'll tell you. So he goes and tells Sarah, Sarah, hey, we're moving. And she's like, okay, great, where are we going? Well, see, the thing is, God did not tell me where we were moving. He just said move. But she says, okay, let's go. I'm in. I don't know how all of the story went, but that's what's collected in Scripture, right? Corey and I will celebrate our 19th anniversary in just a few weeks. And thank you. Thank you so much. Now that you've met me, you know, long-suffering is what she... Now, so, 10 years ago, I decided my wife hates surprises. So, for our anniversary, I'm going to surprise her. She'll love this. And so, I said to her one morning, I said, hey, we're going to celebrate our anniversary. I've got a plan. I just, I want to surprise you with it. I want to, I want to just, let's just go together. And she's like, okay, what do I wear? And I'm like, hey, just wear something nice. It'll be fine. So she gets dressed. We get in the car, and our house is on the north side of Atlanta, and so we started heading south. Now, she didn't verbalize this necessarily, but she said, oh, okay, like, I, you know, where are we headed? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm, I'm assuming she's like, okay, I guess we're going to Atlanta. We're going to go to Atlanta and eat and do something fun in the city of Atlanta. That'll be great until we went through Atlanta. And so now I'm sure her mind's like, well, maybe we're going down to South Georgia. We're going to get a cabin and spend a few days down in a cabin in South Georgia. This is going to be, maybe we're going to Florida. We're going to go to the beach. This will be awesome. And she didn't say all those things out loud and, until we stopped at the airport. We park at the airport. And she was like, are we flying? I'm like, yeah, we're flying. 
She was like, I don't have any luggage. I didn't pack a bag. I'm like, I packed a bag for you. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I said, I I packed for you. And I'm sure she was thinking, oh, my Lord, what is in that bag? I was like, no, no, I got you. I got you. We go into the airport. I've got kind of hidden the destination. We go through security. We get to the gate. There's a big television there. And it finally clues her in on where we're headed. We're flying to Kansas City. I know you're thinking, that's the most romantic destination you could have picked. I know. I know. And she's like, Kansas City? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. We get on the plane. We fly to Kansas City. We get out of the airplane. We go to the car. I tell the driver, hey, I want you to go to this address. She's like, where are we headed? I'm like, you're going to find out. We pull up to the best buffet in the Midwest. (laughs) My wife loves a good buffet. And I found the best one. And so we, we show up, we eat. And she's like, this is awesome. She's like, what are we doing after this? I'm like, we're flying home. We just flew here for lunch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So we get done. We go to the hotel. We unpack her bag. I'm like, hey, listen, we've got some, some stuff we're going to do tonight. We're going to go out for dinner and do something. So I gave her options. Here's four outfits. You pick, you know, because girls need options, right? So I picked some options for her. And so she picked out an outfit, and we go to dinner, and really nice, celebrate our anniversary. Had a really nice thing, a happy anniversary. It was awesome. And we get in, she's like, where are we headed? I'm like, you'll, you'll find out, you'll find out. We leave the restaurant. We walk two blocks to the corner, turn one block. We walk into a theater where her favorite show is off-Broadway in Kansas City that night. Oh, it was awesome. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, yeah, here's the deal. All day long, she might have been scared to death, but there was a sense of excitement in her every time she would ask me. And I would in no way kind of insert myself into your story as if I'm playing God for you. But could you trust God that way all day long? Like, God, I don't know what the next thing is, but this is exciting just trusting you. And you say go, and you say we're headed somewhere, and I don't really know where, but I'm trusting you have a plan. I'm trusting you've kind of packed for me what I'm going to need at this next step of the journey. So, God, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to go. Like, I don't have all the details worked out. But how much faith does it take to trust God if we need all the facts first? It doesn't take a whole lot of faith to do that. And some of us, we trust God just enough as long as we are still in control of all the details. Like, God, if you'll tell me where to go first, I will go. But you've got to tell me first. And God's like, no, no, no. I want you to trust me. I'm telling you to go, and I'm just asking for you to obey, even when you aren't sure how it's all going to play out. And so it's like, okay, I, I, I guess I could do that. I, I, I saw a funny video this last week, and there was a lady, and it was some audio that had been kind of over top of her voice, so it wasn't her voice talking. She was like, listen, I'm fine to go with the flow, but can you just kind of tell me when the flow starts, right? Some of us are so in control of every detail of our life. That we only trust God to the point that we are still in control of all the details of our lives. But it doesn't take a lot of faith to do that. What if God is asking you to trust him? And when you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that he is saying go, you just pack up and say it's time to go. Like it, it is time for me to obey God, not fully understanding all that it might mean other than this is what God has said, and so I will obey him. You see that play out over and over and over in Scripture. When they get to the promised land, I mean, they're right on the other side of the water from the promised land. God tells Joshua to say, hey, put the priest's feet in the water, and then it will roll back. 
Some of us, we're not ready to walk across into the promises of God until he's already done his work. We want him to roll the water back. Then we will step out. He's like, no, no, no. Put the, you got to get wet before you can walk across on dry land sometimes. Right? Then you see this story play out where they get into the promised land and they've got to go and take Jericho, the city of Jericho. And God says, I have already given you the land. I've already given you the city. It is yours. But here's how you inherit it. You've got to walk around this fortified city for seven days, and the first six and a half days has got to be in silence. And so we're just walking, trusting God with no sense of why this, the worst military strategy in the history of mankind, is going to deliver this into our hands. But God says, just trust me. Just believe me. And so we just walk in silence, trusting God to go. Jesus tells Naaman, this man who has leprosy, to go and dip himself seven times, and he will be made whole. But the first six times, he's like, I am still, I don't, this is, nothing has changed. Do we have enough faith to keep dipping ourselves in the water, to keep walking around the city, to trust that God, even though our feet are wet, we are not defeated. We get to walk on dry land into the promises of God because he said, go, and we trust him. You've got to obey and go. And the reason that you have to do that is because legacies are built one obedient step at a time. One obedient step at a time. You say, well, I, I, just, I just want God to tell me. No, 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 he's already told you. He told you to go. He's got all the rest of the plan worked out. You've got to obey and go. Here's the second thing. It's found in verses 17 and 18. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. The second thing, if you want to build a legacy, you want to leave a legacy, is you've got to obey and give. You have to obey and give. Now, if you know this story, you've already, you, you know how it plays out. You've already kind of reconciled in your mind how this is going to play out. So it doesn't seem as weighty as it had to to Abraham. You think about this, and Abraham had been promised by God in Genesis 12 and 13 and again in Genesis 15. He'd been promised by God, hey, listen, you're going to have descendants that outnumber the stars, that outnumber the sand on the seashore. But Abraham's like 70, 80, no kids, 90. It's like, I don't see how you're working this out, God. He got in a hurry. He thought he was in control of all the ways that God was going to accomplish his promises. So he just tries to get in a hurry, do things his own way, which is, we're still paying for on this global scale. But now finally God brings his promises to Abraham and Sarah. And they have this promised child, Isaac. And God says, hey, this is the one. This is what I intended all along. This is how all of these plans will begin to happen in and through your life to leave this legacy. To become a people with a place. This is how it's going to happen. And then Isaac begins to grow up. And one day, God says the unthinkable to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. Incredible foreshadowing of the story of Jesus. Your one and only son. And we don't know other than what is recorded in Scripture. But Abraham is obedient to that. I'm assuming his conversation with Sarah about this went a little differently than the moving conversation, maybe. But Abraham gathers up all the supplies, all the resources that are needed for the sacrifice. He brings some servants with him. He brings Isaac, and they start walking towards the mountain for sacrifice. That mountain that had been in a great distance away from them eventually is pretty close. 
And so he makes this statement to the servants. He said, you guys stay here. He said, the boy and I will go up for the sacrifice, and then we will return back to you. Now, one of two things absolutely has to be true in that moment as Abraham makes that declaration. He has to believe that God will provide a different sacrifice. Like when they get up there, somehow, supernaturally, there's going to be. But he doesn't know that that's the case. Or what's recorded in Hebrews 11 is that he believed that even if he sacrificed his son, God would raise him from the dead. And so he's now going to bring this boy back down the mountain with him. What incredible faith. I don't, I don't in, pretend to believe that there wasn't some doubt and fear and worry and apprehension. God, what are you doing here? God, I don't know how you're making this thing work, but I trust you. You told me this was the promise, so I'm trusting that one way or the other, this thing's going to work out. I don't know how, but I'm trusting you. So they go marching up the mountain. They get to the top of the mountain, and they begin to prepare the sacrifice. And Isaac starts looking around, and he realizes they left a really important part of the puzzle somewhere because there's nothing to sacrifice it's like uh dad do you do you notice anything here that's a little different than i saw this playing out in my head this morning we got in our car i plugged in because i used the apps i plugged in the directions to gocher south metro atlanta our 13 year old son tucker was sitting in the, the middle seat behind us and he saw it, he goes an hour it doesn't take an hour to get to our church I said, yeah, we're not, we're not going to our church. We're going to our other church. We're going to go to Go Church today. Remember Pastor JC, Lakeland, London? You remember? We're going to go to Go Church. He was like, I didn't, I didn't know that. Our 11-year-old from the back seat, our daughter, Kinley, she was like, I've known for weeks. <laughs> and I said to Tucker, I said, remember when we talked about this last night? They're like, you need to get your clothes together because we're going to leave a little early because we're going to Go Church. Maybe he heard we're going to church. I don't know. But he just said, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. It's like he was really puzzled the first part of this trip. And I, I got to assume that may be the way Isaac was looking at his father. Like, we got everything we need except a sacrifice. And, and at some point, Abraham starts to put Isaac on the altar. And at that point, I'm, we're raising three teenage sons. I got to assume they're pushing back a little bit. Like, uh, Dad, I don't understand what's happening. Is mom here? Could I talk to mom? Could I please? That's like the kid equivalent. Can I speak to your supervisor? Right? It's like, can I, is, can I talk to mom for a second? And so Isaac is, and then all of a sudden, God says to Abraham, stop. Stop. He said, I was just testing you to see if there was anything more important to you than me. Sometimes... God will test you to see if his promises for you are more important to you than the person that he is in your life. If your relationship with him is enough or if you need all the stuff he can do for you, right? And so he says, I tested you and I know now that nothing is more important to you than me. And so if you look over here, there's a ram caught in the bush. It tells me two great things in this moment. One, it tells me that God is our provision, right? God is our provision. Like, God, if God's going to promise it, God's going to keep his promise, and he's going to provide every step of the way for what's necessary for his promise. It, it reminds me, it reminds me that I've got to make sure in my life that I am pursuing God, the person, the relationship with him, and then the promises are a result of that. But I'm pursuing him and not what he can do. And the second thing is this. It reminds me that even when I can't see it, 
that when I'm walking up one side of the mountain in obedience, God is faithful to be marching up whatever I'm going to need on the other side of that mountain. You don't always get to see. I don't always get to see what God is doing to provide for us. But God says, if you want to leave a legacy, you've got to obey and be willing to sacrifice and give. What if God giving you what you don't have comes on the other side of you giving out of what you do have? Like, what if, that, what if you look at your hands and it seems right and it makes sense that you hold in your hands these pieces of the promises of God, but when God asks you to give it, you say, no, 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 I misheard you. Something's not right. What, what, what if God says, no, no, if you will trust me, it's not about one son. It's about descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. But I need to know that you trust me to keep my promise. Pastor JC talked about it a little bit last week. We do something very similar at our church. But in just a few weeks, you have your legacy offering coming up. And what I love about the legacy offering is it's not to pay the bills. It's not to continue to do ministry as is. The legacy offering is about 100% participation, asking everyone that's a part of this church family to give something sacrificially, to trust God and give something so that together we can do more than we can do on our own. And then we 100% participation and we give 100% of it away. And so last week he talked about the fact that there's these green envelopes. And if you didn't get one, you can grab one on your way out today. But what we're saying is, God, I want to take this envelope and I want to trust that you're going to help me put something in it or give online or follow all the instructions of all the things that they've got here so that I can trust you and obey and give to something that's bigger than me. And when I do, I trust that you're going to take it and multiply it. You're going to return blessing to me. You don't owe me anything. But your track record says that you're going to return back to me, but you're also going to multiply it and use it to expand your kingdom. There's some incredible things that are going to happen through this year's legacy offering. You're going to hear more about that next week. But I'm telling you, if you want to leave a legacy, you have to trust God one act of generosity at a time. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive him. And when we obey and we give, we see that legacies are built one act of generosity at a time. Here's the third thing. It's found in verse 12. And so from this one man came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You want to leave a legacy. The third thing is this. You got to obey and grow. You've got to obey and grow. You got to obey and go, obey and give, and obey and grow. God kept his word to Abraham. Descendants as numerous as the stars and countless as the sand on the shore. But Abraham didn't get to see that. It required of him that he grow his faith, grow his trust, that God was a God who keeps his promises. The promises of God are yes and amen. They are sure. But sometimes we see with our eyes. We don't look by faith. We don't, we don't look through the eyes of God. We look through the eyes of man. And so when our legacy, our family, looks like enough people that could fit into a minivan with space left over, we might have a tendency to say, God, I don't, I don't understand. You, you, you promised me way back there descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. When I look up at night, there's a lot of stars up there, God. I, I don't see that in my house right now. And the question is, can we grow our faith to trust God for his promises when it's still a work in progress? 
That's ultimately where we live almost every day is just the promises of God as a work in progress in our lives. Very rarely do we get to see the finished work, especially when it's about legacy. Because legacy outlives you. Legacy outlives me. It's not about what you get to see with your eyes. It's not about who's living in your house right now, necessarily. It's about am I living today as if tomorrow matters? What kind of imprint am I leaving on the next generation and those generations that I may never get to meet? What kind of imprint am I leaving? I got to grow my trust and grow my faith and possess it for myself and then pass it on to the next generations. My grandmother, godly woman, loved God, trusted God all of her life. She passed away a few years ago. Last few years of her life, her memory was slipping. And so just before it actually did, she sat down and she typed out stories of God's faithfulness, prayers that were answered in her lifetime, stories of God's goodness to her parents and her grandparents. And she took that Word document, she printed it off, she made copies, she had it bound in a spiral-bound kind of book form and she gave it to all of her children and all of her grandchildren before her memory started slipping and now that she's gone if she hadn't taken the opportunity to do that and to pass on those stories of faith I wouldn't have the confidence perhaps when I pray today that I'm praying not just to the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob I'm praying to the God of Judy Isaacs who God showed up in her circumstances and God answered some prayers and I can pray now with a confidence and I'm not praying to a God that I hope can I'm praying to a God I know can (laughs) prayers of faith prayers of legacy that my faith would grow and my trust would grow that God keeps his promises I heard a story not too long ago that I think is relevant for where we're at right now in this moment. It was about a guy, you and I were driving down the road, just kind of past a gas station. We see a young man pumping gas in a tuxedo. You might think, man, he's overdressed to pump gas. But what we wouldn't know is that he's on his way to the prom. And when he gets to the prom, he is dressed appropriately for that moment. He seems a little overdressed for right now, but this is not where he's headed. And I think for some of us today, as we're talking about leaving a legacy, requires us to live a legacy. It means that there may be some things you're clothed in right now that the people around you don't understand. There's some decisions of faith and family that you're making right now. And people look at you like you're pumping gas in a tuxedo. But it ain't about today. They don't know where you're headed. They don't know what your future looks like. They don't know the story of faith that you're trying to write into your children and your children's children. And it requires you to make some decisions today that don't make sense to them. But one day, maybe your grandchildren will do what I just did and they will brag on you telling the stories. One generation will commend thy works to another generation. They'll stand and tell of God's faithfulness to you. Because you were okay looking a little foolish pumping gas in a tuxedo. Because it wasn't about pumping gas in a tuxedo. It was about where you're headed. And it makes sense when you get there. But you may not get to see it all unfold. Can we trust God with promises that are still a work in progress? Can we trust God?
with promises that are still a work in progress. And, and here's what you may be saying. I recognize today, you may be saying this right here. In this room, another campus, those watching online, somebody listening back in the next few days, some platform, they're listening as they drive or work out. I know you may be asking this question or thinking this thought right now, but you don't know my past. You don't know my family and our story and our history and my parents. You don't know my past. Can I remind you of this great truth today? Your past is not your legacy. That's their legacy. You get to write your legacy right now, today, and toward tomorrow. You get to decide right now what kind of legacy you're going to leave for those who come after you. And they will get to celebrate their past because of what you're doing right now. Your past is not your legacy. That's someone else's. You get to write it right now with the help of God by obeying him to go and obeying him to give and obeying him to grow in your faith and trust that he will keep his promises. So here's some closing questions for all of us today. First question is this, what decisions do you need to make right now so that your grandkids don't have to? If it matters to your grandkids, they gotta make some decisions for themselves for sure. Nobody gets saved because grandpa was saved. They gotta make it for themselves. But what decisions do you need to make right now so your grandkids don't have to? Being committed to faith and to godliness and to, to your marriage and to your family and commitment and to his church. And what decisions do you need to make right now so your grandkids start with a leg up? They start knowing some things and knowing some truths and trusting God because they watched you trust God and believing God for themselves because they watched you. Like what decisions do you need to make right now? What hard decisions so your grandkids don't have to? Here's the second question. What do you need God to set you free from so your children don't have to fight that battle? Some of us, we're struggling with some stuff, wrestling with some stuff. We, we just, we just, we've prayed a thousand prayers. We can't get free. We've come to this altar a million times. We just can't get free. Scripture tells me that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And his spirit and his presence, his power is here. What if today's the day that you find freedom and your kids don't have to struggle with the same things that you've been struggling with because you trusted God for freedom and you walked it out day after day after day. What things do you need to ask God, trust God, believe God for in freedom so your kids don't have to fight that battle? You've been fighting some battles your parents never dealt with or your grandparents never got over and you're wrestling those things. But today you've decided, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to get free from some stuff so that they don't have to fight those battles. Here's the third question before we pray. What do you need to do to live a legacy so that you can leave a legacy? You wanna leave a legacy with your life? How do you need to live today? How do you need to live today? Where do you need to pump gas in a tuxedo? It doesn't make sense to anybody around you, but it's about where you're headed. I'm gonna ask you right where you're at just to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody's looking around, a moment of reflection between you and the Lord. An opportunity for you to ask God to search your heart, see if there be any wicked way in you. And if you would say right now, Pastor Jeremy, I know that the decision I need to make today is to trust him for salvation. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I've fallen short of the glory of God. Well, guess what? Welcome to the family. Welcome to the human race. But you don't have to stay that way. 
by God's grace, salvation can be yours. Your eternity can change right now. If that's you and you want to ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around except me and your campus pastors. You can just throw your hand up right now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Leave it up. Leave it up. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you so much. You can put it down. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I've got some decisions to make. I've got some obedience decisions to make. Maybe it's about freedom, getting free from some things. Maybe it's just about obedience to go. God said go, and I didn't know where, and I needed some more facts, and needed some more information, but I've just not been obedient because I haven't moved yet. I gotta grow my faith that God's gonna keep his promises. I can't see him yet, so I'm not really sure, but I'm, I wanna grow my faith today. Whatever that decision is for you, if that's you, I want you to just lift your hand. Just lift your hand. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Keep it up for just a second. We're gonna pray for you. I just need to trust God more than I ever have before. You can put it right down. God, I thank you today that you're a God who keeps his promises. I thank you, God, that you keep your word. And that if you've ever said it, it will come to pass. We may not see it with our eyes. We may not understand the journey and the process, the way you're writing this story. But God, we trust you and believe in you. So God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you more than we ever have before, to walk in obedience to go when you call us, to give when you ask it, to grow our faith, to believe that you are a God who does this kind of work. God, now I pray for every single man and woman who lifted their hand to acknowledge their need for you to save them right now, to forgive their sins and to be their Lord. God, I pray right now that you would do what only you can do. I can't save them, but you can. God, we celebrate with heaven for those decisions that have been made now. Eternities are changed. Family histories are changed right now for the decisions that have just been made. And so God, we thank you for that. And God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hand to say, I've got some decisions to make. I've got some things I've got to do. I've got to be obedient to God. He's asking some things of me. I've known it for a while, but I haven't taken a step. I've got to be obedient. And so God, today I pray that you would help us to trust you one step at a time, one day at a time believing that you're a God who writes our story. And so God, we thank you for all of these things today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Jeremy. Come on, can you let him know one more time just how grateful we are for that word.